Good morning. My name is Stephen. If you don't know me, I'm the, the pastor here, and I'm glad you're joining us in week two of our series, My Life is a Mess. What we're doing is examining why our lives become a mess, but more importantly, we're asking ourselves the question, how do we find grace in the middle of the mess? Because we know what doesn't help in the mess. Religious rhetoric or mean-spirited Christians don't help in the mess. Friends that abandon you don't help in the mess. Compounding the mess by our own stupidity doesn't help in the middle of the mess. So what does help in the middle of the mess? Well, last week we created a filter, and we're going to use that filter again as we look at our first topic in the next six weeks that we have. I told you I wasn't going to tell you what topic it was because you might skip the one that you need most. And so you've probably figured out this morning what our topic is. It's marriage. Now, statistics show us that 90% or more will be married or desire to be married. And so this morning we have married couples with two believers. We have married couples with one believer and uh, one unbeliever. We have singles who desire to be married again or singles who have no desire to be married. But we all know how marriage affects us. And for most of us, I would say 90% or more, there is either marriage or a desire to be. And this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to show how the gospel and marriage correspond with each other. Because we could say why our marriages are a mess. We're not having sex. We don't communicate. We don't even like each other. We should have never gotten married. Or whatever else it might be. And typically, the reason or the things that we say are making our marriages a mess are just symptoms. And the real problem in the marriage isn't the symptom. It's not the thing I just listed. It's something else underneath. In fact, typically, the problem with a marriage is me or you or something underneath. So what we want to do today is not evaluate the symptoms that make our marriages a mess, but figure out what's underneath it. Because if we figure out what's underneath it, then we can solve the symptoms. And so we're going to see how the gospel and marriage correspond with each other. I have this theory, it's unproven, but I have this theory as all theories are. I have a theory that every woman secretly or unknowingly tries to sabotage their own engagement. Now I have this theory based upon many years of conversations with people, particularly men who have tried to get their wife to be engaged with them or ask the question, and something always tends to go wrong. I officiated a wedding yesterday where the couple was down in Florida because he wanted to ask her on the beach, and the ring, unbeknownst to his wife, was in her, in her carry-on luggage, and as they got off the plane, she took down the carry-on luggage, put it down, and gave it to the guy in front of her. And so he is walking out because she thought it was his bag with her wedding ring in the bag. He got out of the plane and the uh, male realized he had the wrong bag, saw the guy walking down and chased after him to grab the bag. In my own case, I tried to ask Lindsay to marry me on July, uh, I can't remember the date, but sometime in July of 2016. 
We did get engaged in July 2016. It was just one day after I had planned on getting engaged. Lindsay was working a job where she had to stand on her feet all day, and I had this perfect romantic night planned that involved an incredible speech with lots of tears, mostly mine, not hers. And the point was, if I could get her to walk 75 yards, I could unveil my plan. And uh, she texted me after I had asked, hey, let's meet up at Levis. She said, yeah, great, we can do that, Um, but I don't feel like walking. I needed her to walk 75 yards. So she got there, and I said, hey, let's go for a quick walk. She said, I don't really want to walk. I said, how about just a quick walk? I don't want to walk. Why don't we go get something to eat? So we went and got something to eat, thinking to myself, after she sits down for an hour and gets some food, certainly she'll walk 75 (laughs) yards with her love. So we got back to this point in Levis Commons where I needed her to walk 75 yards, to which she said, I don't want to go for a walk. And I said, how about just a really quick one? And she said, are you not listening? So we sat down on the curb in silence for five minutes, watching all of the stupid high school students play Pokemon Go. I could have killed them right there in that moment. After five minutes of angry silence... Lindsay, not really understanding why I was so angry, of course, uh, she put her arm on my leg. Now, there was um, a ring box in my pocket, okay? You've seen my jeans. They're very skinny. There's not a lot of room to cover up ring boxes, okay? To which, after another moment of silence, she said this, the question no woman is ever allowed to ask, were you going to propose? To which I said, you're not allowed to ask that question. (laughs) Then I said, let's leave. So I gave her a kiss on the cheek, and I said, I'm going home. And I went home, and she went home, and that was it. We got engaged the next day. It was not nearly as cool or romantic or with as many tears as I had planned. It was more like, hey, you want to do this? Yeah, cool. All right, let's go. (laughs) Whether you've been married 16 weeks, 16 months, 16 years or more, If you've been married at all, you know that marriage can become a mess. A mess. So what does the gospel teach us about that? So we have to go back to the beginning to see why marriage was created. Because if we can understand why and how it connects us to the gospel, then I think we can fix the mess. Genesis 2.18 says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. The purpose of godly biblical marriage is companionship. Companionship. The point of marriage is not sexual bliss, high school students, that doesn't exist. The point of marriage is not tax advantages or joint bank accounts or anything else like that or reproduction. The point of marriage, the point why it was created is companionship. Companionship. Which means it's possible that the reason your marriage is a mess is because you've forgotten the point of it. The point is companionship. Now, how do we form companionship? Intimacy. Intimacy either is growing or dying. It's the nature of intimacy. It's growing or it's dying. Now, there are three general ways in which we develop intimacy. Communication, contact, and consistency. 
Communication, contact, and consistency. And these things are either growing or they're dying. And they're what form this companionship. And sometimes we mess them up. Let's look at consistency. What's the pinnacle of consistency? When you move in with somebody and you wake up next to them every morning, that's really consistent. The time that you spend with them. Sometimes dating couples, particularly students, we have, follow me here, consistency sex well before we should. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You start dating, and after the first date, you can't go eight minutes without texting or Snapchatting. You know what that is? Consistency sex. You you have already taken, in that form of intimacy, you've already taken it all the way down the road where you need each other every single second. You know what it leads to? Heartbreak, typically. Now, the scriptures are really clear, by the way, on contact, what the levels are. The, the, and we know what the pinnacle of contact, uh, the pinnacle of contact intimacy is. It's sex. The Bible says that's reserved for marriage. But oftentimes what we'll do is we won't, you know, we'll save that one for marriage, but we'll do the other ones way too soon. Even communication. Communication sex is when on the third day you have, you, you've laid out your whole soul to that person. And you haven't had physical sex, but you've had communication sex. Then it ends. And it feels just as bad if you had slept together. Why? Because you carried the intimacy so far. Now, in marriage, in marriage, those three things are supposed to be continuing to move deeper and deeper. More and more. And one reason that our marriages may be a mess is because we have failed to be companions, to be best friends, to know each other. The point of marriage was companionship, which means if you're a better companion with your video game or your golf clubs or your work or your girlfriends or your whatever else, then we've missed the point of the marriage. The point was, it's not good to be alone. So how do you solve being alone? You give someone to another so that problem doesn't exist anymore. Companionship. Could the marriage mess be fixed if we just, if you just returned to companionship? By the way, if you're not married, This is why the Bible is really clear on don't marry an unbeliever. Don't do it. Why? Because how can you have great companionship with somebody who doesn't share what you share about what's most important in life? If you're already married, by the way, this does not apply. You've already made that covenant. If you're not, don't ever make that covenant. Don't ever make that commitment to somebody who's not a believer in Christ. Companionship. Now, where do we see this in the gospel? It is the gospel. The whole point of the gospel was that we would have companionship back with God. And so God wanted companionship so much that he sent his son Jesus down to earth so that we could have it. 
So the gospel is about companionship, marriage, in the same way that the gospel is about our companionship with God and our intimacy with him and him alone. Marriage is about companionship with your spouse and your spouse alone. This next verse. Let me hit one more thing. Sometimes, particularly in the communication standpoint, the communication intimacy, because this is the one that tends to break down first. A lot of times. We'll have sex or, yeah, we're around each other just because simply, but we have to. But the actual communication intimacy begins to break down and the talking stops. Or the actual real talking stops. Yeah, we talk about what we have to do, but we don't actually communicate anymore at a real level. That breaks down. And it can break down for a lot of different reasons, but there's also a lot of excuses that we give and why it breaks down. And two of them are this, and I just want to point them out to let you know that they're not legitimate excuses. One of the excuses is this. Well, I grew up in a household where we didn't share feelings, and I've never been taught how to do it. Your parents' deficiencies don't count as your excuse. Do you get that? Another reason we'll say is this. Yeah, that's just not my temperament. I'm not a talker. Not a legitimate excuse. Temperament, by the way, is never really talked about in the scriptures. And so we don't get to use it as reasons not to be obedient to God, to our spouse. Those excuses don't work. Don't use them. A lot of times what happens is this. We get into this place where, where we've allowed the intimacy to get, and some of us are really good at the front end, right? We get into this new thing, and it's exciting, and we'll share, and we'll share, but then you get into the rhythm, and you stop sharing, and the wall goes up, and you never break through it. You won't go any further. And you wonder, why is my marriage a mess? Because you walked up to a brick wall of intimacy, and you won't break through it, and you need to. Verse 24 tells us another way the gospel and marriage correspond. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's two principles that are really important in this. The first one is departure. The second one is deep sacrifice. There is no gospel without departure. Jesus departed the splendor of heaven, the perfection of heaven, and he came to earth. There was an old covenant, but Jesus wanted a new covenant. And the only way that the old covenant could become the new covenant, if Jesus was willing to depart, the only way that your marriage can become a godly marriage is if there is departure. Departure. It can't be husband and wife and mother-in-law and father-in-law on whatever side. That's not departure. Guys, this means when you need sympathy or you need a listening ear, your first call and your best place can't be your mom. Ladies, it means that your husband's opinion is more important than your dad's once you've stepped into that. That's departure. And it's possible that the marriage is a mess because there hasn't been full departure in the practical and in the, in the spiritual realm. Practical, I mean this. So uh, early on in, in, in Lindsay and I's marriage, I noticed an incredible trait that my wife has. She cleans the house like vacuum and sweeps every single day, every day. It's awesome. I love it. But at some point I told her, you don't have to do this. 
If you're doing this because you've come out of a household where that was the expectation every single day, you don't live under that expectation anymore. This is your house. And if you don't want to do that, you don't have to do it. If you want to do it, by all means, continue. It's great. But do it from the proper motivation. Do it because you want to. Because it's your house. And you're establishing the rules. If you're still operating under the structure, the rules of your parents' household, and you have not yet properly created your own, you haven't departed. There's no gospel without departure. There's no biblical marriage without departure. Now, the gospel couldn't exist without deep sacrifice. Without deep sacrifice at all. I mean, look at the gospel. Christ goes to the cross and he deeply sacrifices in order for us to enter into this new covenant. Marriage, godly marriage can't exist without deep sacrifice. And in an age when we look at marriage as a convenience, in an age when we look at marriage as, uh, yeah, there are some advantages or it's just going to be a mutually beneficial agreement that we both have, It'll help us both advance our own careers. It'll help us both get to where we want to be. We can split rent, and there's a whole bunch of other things that we can do. We've lost the idea that the heart of godly marriage is deep sacrifice, like Christ on the cross type of deep sacrifice. I was at a coffee shop this week, and uh, I asked the barista, and I said, hey, what do you think about marriage? And he goes, oh man, what a question. He's 28, he's single, he's not a believer. He said, right now I'm married to my yoga practice and I'm married to my job. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, man, I won't even have a dog right now because it wouldn't be fair to the dog. How could I commit my life to a person if I can't even commit myself to a dog? I said, let me tell you something. You're not a Christian. He's like, yeah, (laughs) but you understand marriage really well in that regard. It's about deep sacrifice. Is that how you view your marriage? Those of you who are single and are wanting to get married, is that what you see? That's what you're stepping into? Not something that's mutually beneficial. Not something that you go into and you're like, yeah, this is going to be great. It will be. I hope it will be. But no, something that you're going into because you're going to lay your life down for someone else. Sometimes we think we're doing that, but if we had an honest evaluation or we really looked around at our lives, what we would see is we've actually set up our marriage and our family in a way that really serves us best. Husbands, is your wife your employee or your partner? Wives, is your husband your problem fixer or your partner? Is a deep sacrifice, one for the other. That's a biblical marriage. That's the gospel. And that's biblical marriage. Verse 25. Third way. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is much more than just sexual intimacy. It's a beautiful verse. Says they were both naked 
And they were not ashamed. Now, they were vegan, so they were probably in good shape. How could they do that? What did the verse mean? It means this. They were in front of each other, and there was no judgment. Let me say it another way. They were both fully known and fully loved. This is the heart of the gospel. That that I can be in front of God and because I am covered in Christ's righteousness, a spiritual term called justification, because I have Christ's righteousness on me, I can be in front of God in all of my sin and I can be fully known. He can know every depth of sin in my heart and yet he still fully loves me. Oh, that's the beauty of the gospel. I hope you know that you have that in Christ, that you are fully known. He knows every thought that comes in, and yet he still fully loves you. Now in marriage, it should be mirrored. That I could be in front of another human being, and if you're single or you can remember being single, you know the thoughts of, yes, but if they really get to know me, they won't like me. It's typically the number one fear in singleness. If they really got to know me, they wouldn't like me. In biblical marriage, we are to be both fully known and fully loved, naked, exposed in front of each other and not judged, fully known and fully loved. But why doesn't this happen? Why does our marriages become a mess and this doesn't happen? Well, there's a, there's a few different reasons I want to point out. One, uh, one reason is this. Uh, sometimes there, there's a tension that exists in the marriage. And what the tension has begun to do is create a divide, whether or not we know it or not. Oftentimes we do know it, we've just never acknowledged it. And so there's this unspoken tension, and because there's the tension, we stop fully allowing the other to know ourselves. Because we're afraid, for whatever reason, if I allow you to fully know, you're now going to reject. Now, sometimes we do that because we've tried to let them fully know us, and we have felt rejected in it. In fact, this happens sometimes. There's a, there's a guy, and maybe he's not the best communicator in the world, but he has tried to convey something in his heart to his spouse, his wife in this case, and, and he's, he start the fire of intimacy, of communication intimacy, but when he did, the wife's snide comments or sarcasm or remarks or dissatisfaction, instead of it being gasoline on the fire of intimacy, has become water on it. And so he's tried, and women will say, my husband just won't open up, and he's quiet, and he's passive, and you made him that way. And how you've just poured on water every time he's tried. Or on the other side, a wife, who the scripture says, man, you're supposed to seek to understand her. A wife has tried to to get her her emotions out or to share. And instead of doing that, what the husband has done, he does one of two things. He either clams up or he he gets afraid of the conversation, oftentimes because of the the reasons I said earlier, or he blows up in anger at her when she does. And you look around and you see these women that have become just a shell of a woman. They've never been hit, but they've been abused. And they are just a shell of what they're supposed to be. And men, if your wife is a shell of what she's supposed to be, that's on you. Amen. It's on you. You drove her to that. And where, where she tried to, to fuel the intimacy and where your anger or whatever else shut it down. 
It's on you. There is only one way. There is only one way that, that this can uh, begin to flourish. And that is if we properly understand forgiveness in the marital relationship. Because without it, it's impossible. It's impossible. Both avenues of forgiveness, by the way, I taught this a few weeks ago. One avenue of forgiveness is love covers over a multitude of sins. And so you allow love to cover over your spouse's inadequacies. When love covers it up, that means you don't get to uncover it when you want. Because that's a dirty trick and it's sinful. Covered, 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 covered. Oh, now I need it. And so you pull it out as a weapon. That's not okay. The other type of forgiveness is the hard-fought conversation that really lets forgiveness take place. By the way, biblical forgiveness is this and only this. I won't use it against you anymore. The moment where we use it against them again, we haven't forgiven them. It's not forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness is, it's over. It's done. Listen, the last thing you and I need is in prayer, to be in prayer with God and for him to say, yeah, but remember what you did to me? He doesn't do that to us, which means gospel-centered marriage means I can't do that to someone else. So by the way, if you're single and you want to get married, you want to learn something, learn how to forgive. That right there might prepare you for marriage better than anything else. Learn how to forgive. True gospel-centered forgiveness. They were both naked and knew no shame. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that with your spouse? To be fully exposed, heart and soul, and yet still fully loved. You know what the scripture teaches us happens when this happens? In Proverbs, it teaches us that the, the man who is in this type of marriage is, is known in the streets, is, is strong and alive. The woman who knows this is, uh, uh, Proverbs 31 teaches, there's a, there's a joy and an energy to her. This is the fruit of godly marriage. And it starts with understanding why it exists, companionship how it's formed, departure and deep sacrifice and how it's sustained forgiveness and pursuing intimacy.